Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vintage Dialogue Radio. I'm your host, SM Gaines, and today I will be joined by my very special guest, Miss Brittany Jenkins. We're going to be talking about how she landed her dream job as a staff director for her mentor, the late chairman, Mr. Elijah Cummings, and what it's like working for Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib as her chief of staff. If you're ready to be inspired, stay tuned because today's conversation is all about life on the hill. Brittany, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Can you just tell us about what you do, what your day-to-day is like on the Hill? Sure. Um, so my background. So I uh, came to the Hill after about five years in the private sector working at a law firm. Um, and I would recommend for anybody who is interested in working on the Hill and doing the policy space, getting a law degree is, you know, I think a great foundation because you learn how to be a strong writer and researcher and a really strong advocate. Those are all really good tools for being on the Hill. So did that and then went to private sector and then came to the Hill about four years ago. First worked with Mr. Cummings doing the environmental portfolio for him mm-hmm. for about three years and then started in this job. I'm working for the chief of staff for the Congresswoman. And so this job is a little different than my past positions and that um, um, I really work in partner with the Congresswoman on a day-to-day basis to make sure that our goals, um, you know, making sure that everybody, you know, for example, has access to clean and affordable water, has clean air, everybody's getting the economic support they need from the federal government, making all, making sure that's all executed. And that comes in a variety of ways and looks different each day. So sometimes mm-hmm. it can be, you know, working on a piece of legislation. Um, other times it can be, you know, helping prep her for an interview or uh, getting into, um, you know, a meeting with someone, a senior administration official or another member's office or in office in order to um, partner together in the future. Um, and then sometimes it's also just supporting and helping out where I can. Where, you know, she has an excellent team of caseworkers and a district team. So really on the, the front lines, helping us out and making sure that we're really serving the district. It's also doing whatever they need um, and pushing on the federal space to be helpful. So it looks like it's it's busy. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely not a nine to five because the news and people don't stop needing help on the weekends. Um, but very rewarding. She always says, you know, that her district is the third poorest, you know, congressional district in the country. So everything that we do works with a sense of urgency. So it's not always sometimes that for us, it's a, a theoretical disagreement about things such as like racial injustice or corporate polluters and need to clean up, you know, our environment, you know, uh, we that's this is these are very real issues that our residents face that we just have we are always on you know we're always on always working hard whether it be legislation or hearings or what have you interviews to make sure that we are really uplifting our residents or really trying to bring home real change that is so desperately needed so with that I do everything whether it be helping her you know manage staff prepping her for meetings getting her into like more high profile meetings with senior officials making connections with other members or senators um, helping to staff her at events 
agents and um, publicity stuff for her as well. It's just, you know, everything that she might need, whether it be from the votes or something, the small to big, just to make sure that she's always supported and that we're always kind of really bringing home the help that students need. Do you have staff that work directly under you? Yeah. So there's a staff that's about 17 folks now, I think. And so we have folks, you know, located in D.C., um, in her office here. But I think what we really embrace and love and try to prioritize is really making sure that people are like a ton of stuff also in the district to make sure that her residents, when it comes, you know, we call it casework. But when folks come in and they say they have an issue, whether it's like, I'm not getting my stimulus check um, or mm-hmm. I need help because there's, there's loud noise or I walk outside and I smell gas. I smell something bad in the air all the time. And I know, I don't know what it is, but I know it's bad for me. I really need for y'all to look mm-hmm. into it. Those are the things that really that her um, capes worker, which is a great team of women who are really on the front lines every day, helping um, to serve her residents. And what we always do is try to partner with them to make sure that what we're hearing on the ground is what happening um, is being uplifted and really gotten attention in Congress. So she always works with that support or from that perspective where she's and we're always trying to drive um, the narrative um, in D.C. based on what we're seeing on the ground and the district and also making those connections as to maybe this issue is particularly, uh, you know, it's not particularly felt by folks in Detroit. We also have these issues maybe in the South or in the West. And so that folks can see that, you know, we are, you know, a good illustration of what's happening in communities across the country and trying to really use that as leverage here in D.C. You, you didn't start out in politics in your career. No. What was your initial law degree in? And- so I went to law school at Washington and Lee. Um, please, please forgive the name. I did not create the name. I only went there. <laughs> But I went there and then I went to um, the private sector for about five years working at a law firm. Um, And I always I had a passion for um, public service. But, you know, when you graduate law school, a lot of folks tell you going to a firm is great because it allows you to uh, really have the space to learn, like how to do Mm -hmm. your research well, how to do to advocate well, how to write well, all those like good tools that you need. I think if you want to be a strong advocate for your career, whether it be you want to be a grassroots organizer, or do you want to work on the Hill or do you just want to you know, be in the private sector? You just kind of need those skills. So I did that for about five years. And, you know, I, I grew a lot. I learned a lot. But then, you know, you start having that feeling kind of like, in the back of your mind, of just like a little bit of anxiousness. And also like, not only being like, I worked really hard to get to this point in my life. Um, and is this what I want to do with my career? But kind of taking a step back, it's like, you know, my mom, and my grandma, they sacrificed so much to help me with opportunities. And do I really... Yes want to use those opportunities. And the work I was doing was a lot more of just like representing banks and financial services litigation. It's like, and you know, do I really want to use that to help the companies? Or do I really want to use that to help folks who I can identify with, and who have stories very similar to what you know, my mom faced and the challenge that she faced and like, but for like the grace of God and her hard work, I didn't really have to do have those same challenges growing up. 
and so with that, I was like, I knew I wanted to be in public service and, and I knew it was time for me to make um, that transition. And I think like a lot of folks, this was like back in 2016, I said, you know, what I really want to do is I'll just like hang tight into like the Clinton administration, right? Like right. she's going to win. And then like, I, I can just like just be there like doing something. I wasn't even quite sure what, but I was going to do something. And unfortunately when she lost, I was also like a little lost of being like, well, what do I do now? What do I want my career to look like? What do I want my future to look like? Mm -hmm. And um, I just happened to see this posting for Mr. Cummings um, wanting a counsel uh, for his committee when he was ranking member of the House Oversight Committee. And I looked at it for like a few weeks and I was like, you know, there's there's no way I'm going to get that. I was in Roanoke, I was not even in DC at the time. I hadn't worked on the Hill. A lot of people, usually if they get Hill jobs, have connections or they did internships. Uh -huh. I didn't do that. And so I was like, I don't even think I'd be competitive. But after looking at it and I was like, you know what? Keep seeing it. What the hell? Why not? So I applied and then, um, you know, about three weeks later or so, I got contacted to do our first interview. And yeah, and then, you know, about a month later, I got the position and I moved to DC and I've been on the Hill set. That's amazing. You know how many people probably applied for that same job and you got it? Yeah. I mean, and it's what I always found astounding too, and it kind of resonates with what I always loved about Mr. Cummings is that he made it a priority to give folks opportunities who wouldn't otherwise have those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Kind of like you just discussed is, or you mentioned is like, there's so many folks and I did environment, I did the environmental portfolio for him. There are probably so many people share like thousands. The hill. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in these big fancy law firms in New York or what have you that like he could have picked and he would have, they would have been successful or whatever. But the fact that he was like, I'm going to give this like young black who, mm -hmm. who, woman who has not been on the Hill, but like has a ton of energy and like really still believes in this idea that the world can change. We can do better for folks. I'm going to oh give my her God. a shot. So amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the fact yeah, that he's like, I'm going to give her a shot. And he did. And it's just things like that. that you're like that moment, like really changed the trajectory of, you know, my career. And I think what I also felt like was possible for me to accomplish. So he, you know, I'm always going to be indebted to him. He's always going to be, you know, mm -hmm. like my North Star. He huh? saw something in you. He predicted the future and he said, you're going to do good and you're going to go far. Yeah. And he, I will say, he believed I could do it before I could, I believed I could do it, right? Like he, you know, I'm not one, you call it imposter syndrome or what have you, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I always, I always question myself and I always feel like you're just like, can I really do it? Am I really the person I could be somebody else? Very rare. I felt like was one of the like few members in Congress who, um, I felt really seen by um, and everyone for the most part, I will say like very respectful and nice or whatever, but it, like it takes something special in somebody to be like, I see your sparkle, right? Like I see your glitter. I see you as a person, what you can accomplish. And when you get people like that, like here on the Hill, like they can do wonderful things. They can really drive the change that we want to see um, in this country and in this world. And so when I see folks like that, I will, I like, hold on to them and do as much as I can to like help uplift them. So 
um, he still keeps me going. And she also like very much keeps me going every day. So how did this happen? How did you transition from Mr. Cummings to Miss Tlaib? Did she reach out to you? Did she post something? Was it yeah, a referral? Yeah. So what happened is so like my past position, I was um, staff director for the subcommittee on environment and she mm -hmm. served as vice chairwoman. Um, she did at the time, she still does now. And mm -hmm. so we really started working together. I will say, I didn't think for the first like few run-ins with her, I was like, I don't know if she likes me. I think she <laughs> liked me just fine, but I feel like in my mind, I was like, I, was like, I don't know. But she wanted to do a, a hearing in her district um, and the hearing is gonna be in Detroit. And it was really about environmental injustice and really driving home a lot of the issues she saw with you know, corporate polluters. Cause I will say this is that like, when we talk about it and it sometimes it feels like it's in the abstract where like, you know, folks walk outside and they just, they smell the stench in the air and they don't know what it is. Um, right. Or folks drink their water. And even though, even though the utility company is telling them that it's fine, something that just doesn't taste right. And something just adding up to see, to hear that, you know, it, you're like, okay. But when you see it and when you smell it, it makes so much difference. So that was one reason why she really wanted to have this field hearing in Detroit. And so I, I was the one, you know, in my position, I, I led the team to help organize it for her and mm -hmm. went into the district. And it really, um, that's when we really, I think, started to like build this relationship where I was just like, she right here is like somebody that I just like. I, I like adore and I love and I would like always work for her because like to see not only one just to see firsthand what folks living in the United States of America go through because I think it would blow some folks mind if we tell them like there are people in the country right now who don't have water in their house yeah. don't have mm -hmm. water there are people right now who can't send their kids outside to play because there's something in that air that is making them sick. People like, no, right. wait, but no, but these are so many people's stories and especially her residents' stories. So to see one firsthand, just how much from my position I could really help, one also like really invigorated me and really motivated me to do more on those issues um, for her, her folks, for our residents now. But two, also to see how much they they loved her and how much they were rooting for her and how mm -hmm. much support she had it really i told her at the time it reminded me so much of like you know of, of like upcomings and so um from that i used to joke with folks you know like oh well rashida ever has an opening the cars ever has an opening like i'll go work for her and right. i never really thought much about it and <laughs> then um yeah about fall of last year I heard that she was looking for um, a chief of staff. And so I knew some folks on her staff and I was like, hey, like, I'd love to be considered for this. And so right. uh, she was like, you're like, I'm gonna interview. And we all like, and we went through the process, but it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was such a great opportunity. But yeah, I think um, I found the posting. I think it was, it was just circulating. Like first she's like on the hill, but I think it also was like generally posted, but. Yeah, that uh -huh. always tells you though. I, I don't know. My my thing for that is always or my tip is like for folks is like never, you know, you can see it in my in my history talking about like my professional career. All uh -huh. of it came from me jumping in opportunities where like objectively speaking, right? You might be like, Okay, well, she's not gonna get that, or this is too much, or there's gonna be somebody else who's better. But 
you one never underestimate your lived experiences and what you can bring to the table uh -huh. that other folks wouldn't be able to bring because you know where you grew up or who your family was right. um, things as such um and two also never also like count yourself out um that's the worst thing you could ever do for yourself mm -hmm. especially as you know just a woman of color i see it so many times so i always try to push now um folks who are a little bit younger than me i feel like i'm old but i don't think i'm that old but you <laughs> know but yeah, I always, I always push them. I'm like, it's still saying like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, but why not? Like, why not you? And like, and I think I also get that from my mom because she always, I used to always do that. I'm like, mom, I, I could apply to this thing, but like, there's going to be somebody who's better. There, there has to be somebody like, I only have done this and doing that. She goes, so I was like, so what? She's like, you work hard. You're this, you're that. There's no reason why they shouldn't take you. And so I always try to now like, yeah. Also pass on that same like energy. In yeah. the, fun, the last two big interviews that I got, including my current employer, I call Aunt Sue because I was so afraid and she gave me the confidence. Like talking to you right now, hearing how you're inspiring younger uh, women of color to do what you're doing, I'm like, I'm talking to Aunt Sue. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I mean, she, I will say, I, she's always been my inspiration. Um, you know, not only she's my mom, she's my best friend because she's mm -hmm. one of those folks that like, she was my cheerleader probably before, like when I was still like in her stomach. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and, and also like, you just don't, you know, you learn a lot about determination and preservation, not just by hearing about it, but you know, by seeing it. And I remember, you know, my mom, she was a single mom. And she worked like two jobs, sometimes three jobs. And she was also finishing up her bachelor's and taking uh -huh. care of two young girls as well as like specifically me, who was like stuck to her hip all the time and yes, wanted her to were. do <laughs> and wanted her to do literally everything. stuck to her hip. I used to sit on her like yes. lap for like an You still do age. that. I will. I will. <laughs> And I made her be, I was in Girl Scouts. I made her be my assistant troop leader, though I still have no idea how she found the time. But like uh -huh. watching her and then seeing her succeed and never fault, like it really, like, again, like, it, like just seeing it, I was like, I can do anything. You uh -huh. know, I could, if I wanted to I'll be president one day, I don't want to be president. I'd be like, whatever I can do. <laughs> I can do it because like, look at my mom, like, damn, like she did all of this. She did um, it. All the women in our family are strong. Like so strong. Yeah. So strong, so determined, so resilient, resilient. Your mom is such a success and is such an inspiration as well. Um, aren't for niece was, oh my God. She oh, taught me, I think yeah. so much just about like being who you are. And just like an embracing, so remember when uh -huh. growing up, no, she was non-judgmental. Yeah, you always. I don't know. I feel like folks like you just. You feel like you have to be a certain way or like certain things, and she taught me so much of like just embrace your quirkiness and embrace like uh -huh. everything about your soul, your personality, because like it's you, and it's only you, and you're living your life for you. And so learn so much from Aunt Betty. Oh my gosh, my sister learned learned to love to read from her. 
Um, I just love, like, she was just so funny. <laughs> I got my silliness from her. I, I'm trying to be oh. really reserved right now, but yeah. <laughs> we used to go to, um, I remember um, when we were in South Carolina visiting grandma and Aunt, Aunt Betty and grandpa, we used to go to the store and she would get like her booble and like throw it in her big purse. And mm -hmm. then my mom would used to say she used to always like to drink her beer warm, which is <laughs> yes. so Ooh, odd. That. So odd. <laughs> but all that to be said is that like, oh, and grandma, of course, she's mm -hmm. you know, she was just she was a force within her own, right? And you know. Right. Um, and what people don't know about our grandmother is that she had ten children. I think everyone went to college and or the military. Her grandchildren we all went to college and we got higher degrees i still think i'm the slowest one in the family even though you tell me i'm not <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely not definitely not um what was I gonna say? no i mean and to think about it too because like we want to talk about the segregated south and everything as if mm -hmm. it was like you know hundreds of years ago no that was our grandma's right. generation and, and she so wrote about that Yep. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I remember reading her poems and just mm -hmm. being like, you know, because she she had, of course, like every every person, everybody's life. She had her struggles and to see, mm -hmm. though, that like, again, like her willingness to continue on. And all, I remember my mom used to talk about how when um, grandpa was um you know, in Africa for World War Two, I forget the specific country, but mm -hmm. she, you know, she got them like she held down the fort and she got yeah. like all this new furniture and took care of all these kids and things like that. Like you look at folks like that, like I could do that today. Like I, I wasn't enough for me, you know. Yeah, I could. I know, and just when I think about it, and all you know, our moms, our aunts, our grandparents. I'm just like, how could we not? we have no excuse right like right. they did all of that we have no excuse to not grasp and run for every opportunity so yeah yeah because i was gonna ask you um i shouldn't have put a number on it but i was gonna ask you what three people were the most influential to you but you've already named all the strong women in our family so yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's you know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing mm -hmm. to be part of this family. And, you know, and not only, you know, my aunts, but like you cousin, because I remember seeing you do it on your own too with little Aaron. I remember, yeah. I, don't think, I don't know. I think I tried to change his diaper. I don't know how that worked out. I don't um, know how well that went. Hopefully, hopefully okay. he made it. He's still here. He's here. <laughs> But seeing all of these like strong black women who really stand in who they are and their being and really took every challenge and made it an opportunity. So it's oh gosh, it's so great. Like, I don't know. I could go over I can go on and on about the women in our right. family. I mean, Audrey, same. So mm -hmm. everybody's just wonderful. My sister, of course, though. So. And it's like it, just because you're a certain age, it doesn't stop them because they're past retirement age they're not stopping they're still going they're still they're making their pocket change mom still does you know she's an independent contractor she makes her own hours they're they're doing their thing so i hope that when we're older we're just like them honestly if i end up exactly like my mom like oh such a blessing 
Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm just gonna like thank you, Lord, and just like put on my back porch because my mom has a back porch. <laughs> you gave me a good life. What can we do as a nation to um, combat all the environmental issues that we have? Clean air, clean water. Um, are you allowed to talk about the Green New Deal? Because when I hear the Green New Deal, it's always a negative spin, and I don't know why. Because when I hear green, I think of green grass and clean water and clean air. The Green New Deal was initially um, introduced, um, I believe it was 2019, by Representative Ocasio-Cortez. And I think what a lot of folks were trying to um, paint it as is just like this very like extreme, progressive idea that would take away jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm Kind of like normal, normal Republican talking points when it comes to why we shouldn't be acting on climate. But what I think in itself, how I always kind of already envisioned this resolution to be a success, a resolution, excuse me, a success, is that really started, it really jumpstarted a lot of conversation. It really made people, I think, talk about climate, the climate crisis and mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of folks to organize around it. And what it is, is just the idea, I think really of trying to push this mindset that we need to be addressing climate crisis just like that, like it's a crisis. And it doesn't have to be a job killer. We can do it in a way that we're creating a lot of great jobs for folks in this country. And also Mm -hmm. for us, like lessening, you know, decreasing our emissions to lessen the impact of climate change. And also importantly, I think prioritizing the needs of frontline communities, like what we have in the 13th district in Michigan, who have already been disproportionately impacted by this country's um, reliance on fossil fuels. Because I think what gets lost in all the conversations is that when we talk about people say like, oh, I I love, you know, my big SUV. I love this. I love that. I don't Mm -hmm. want the government telling me that I can't drive that. And what gets lost in that conversation is, okay, but where is this stuff being produced sometimes? It's like, and like, and who's really having to live closer to the highway um, where these big cars that are emitting these greenhouse gases are polluting their air and their water. These communities of color, that's who Mm -hmm. are are at least likely being, you know, uh, being advantaged or being able to take, you know, to use these kind of like high price kind of cars or what have you that have been relying on on fossil fuels, but they're also the ones who are really hurting the most because of that. Mm -hmm. You know, we are in a crisis and I'm not saying that, you know, as a talking point or something to just like over exaggerate, but we really are. Climate change is something that we're already experiencing today. We, Uh the last five years were the warmest five years on record. Um, you, you go outside and you notice it, it's hotter during the summer and don't get as much snow as maybe you used to. We need to build a resilient infrastructure. Um, but also I think what folks need to understand is like when we talk about environmental issues, um, we're not just talking about the trees and the birds. Those are really important. But what we're also talking about is health. Environment very much equals health. And so if we don't transition away from fossil fuels, we're talking about increased emissions. We're talking about greenhouse gas emissions going into our atmosphere. And it gives, you know, it gives kids asthma, you know, growing up if you live in a heavily polluted area. Um, it can, it's, it's um, associated with other um, negative physical health outcomes for adults as well as little children. Um, you know, so I think there's also research who um, connects the climate change with increased things like allergies. Um, associations there. 
And so what we need to really understand is that we need legislation and we need Congress, we need all levels of government to really work to meet the challenge and to meet the crisis at hand. Because if we don't, all the studies show, I mean, even on the Trump administration, they put out of the fourth climate, national climate assessment that gives us a very limited window where we can really ask, act to decrease our emissions in order to avoid some of the worst impacts of climate change. So I think that's what we need to keep in mind is that maybe there are room for discussions about you know whether it's the Green New Deal or it's something else that we want to do. But mm-hmm. what we need to really figure out is like we just can't say well, the Green New Deal is a work and not have an alternative. We need, it needs to be a point of discussion and it also needs to be a package or a piece of legislation or executive action, whatever it is to meet the urgency of the moment. Um, because if not, folks, especially, you know, folks on the Republican conservative side like to really talk about being pro-life, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How can you be pro-life if you're leaving an earth potentially for your children and your grandchildren? Um, where it's not when their health is going to be significantly worse because we didn't do the right thing when we could have. You know, there's all these pictures about how the air was so much cleaner than it had been in years. People could, you know, people could see through all that smog that's usually there. And so it's one that it just drives home a little bit. It's like, okay, y'all, like if we, if we really do our part, you know, we can really have a better quality of life. Um, And we like, you can go for a run without having to breathe in some dirty air sometimes. Exactly. You can take your, your dog on a long walk, things like that. So I don't know, it's, I, that's one, I think, um, one of the silver linings of the few things um, about us all being at home is that we can kind of see firsthand what potentially our, our country could look like if we purposefully, intentionally decrease our emissions. That's true. How would you how would you like to be remembered? What what do you want your legacy to be? A hundred fifty years from now, when someone cracks open the history books and they see Brittany Jenkins Esquire. Gosh, I'm such like a, I hate the idea of ever seeing my like my name in the news or anything like that. Uh, I like working with people. So uh, so I would be like, oh my gosh, like so that's oh, it's a little um, <laughs> surprising, but you know, what I really want, you know, when I when I've left this earth, what I really want my legacy to be as I want people to have clean and affordable drinking water. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want I want to change the idea that I think we right now have in this country or what we do have is that your zip code so much determines um, so much about your quality of life. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether, you know, kind of going back to you know, environmental issues, whether or not, you know, this natural gas plant, this fossil fuel, this oil, plant, whatever, if they're located in your in your neighborhood um, to, you know, the kind of schools you're able to attend and just the different opportunities. I know that in some um, areas, you know, your car insurance and things like that can be higher because of your location. So really working, I think, to create a more equitable country where mm-hmm. we all have this equal chance of succeeding in this country. And that some of us aren't, I should say some, uh, a large portion of us don't have to start from so far behind um, in order to be able to, you know, make it the simple things to make it to 70, 80 and be good health. 
that should be something and have a, a, a good shot of having a good quality of life and a living that will allow you to retire. That should be something that if we're really the most, the richest country in the world, that shouldn't be so hard. That shouldn't be so um, progressive or so like life altering to folks to hear. But unfortunately, you know, people hear that and they think, well, that means I'm not going to get an opportunity. That means you're talking about socialism. That means you're talking about et cetera, et cetera. I was like, no, I'm I'm just talking about us just having an equal and fair shot at life. Communities of color as black women, it's up to us to really make sure also that we are making ourselves and putting ourselves in part of the conversation and making sure that when we talk about these just transitions and everything like that, that it's not just us transitions for some and then some of y'all left behind. It's like, no, 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 no. Um, frontline communities um, who've been really historically hurt by a lot of this pollution, like they need to be prioritized when we talk about making sure that there's clean jobs, making sure that their plants in their neighborhood are retired, um, putting other funds to them to really help also deal with some of these health issues that they're already experiencing. Uh Like you told me the other day, um, women of color, you have to be your, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to be your own cheerleader. You have to speak up. Let people know that you're there. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Brittany. I know you're very busy. You have a hectic schedule up on the hill. And I am so thankful that you decided to stop by today. Well, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yes. Take care until we meet again. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. If this is your first time joining, welcome to Vintage Dialogue Radio, and thank you for listening. And if you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss a thing. What topics do you want to talk about in the future? I'm sure you have plenty of questions for my guests. So don't forget to drop a comment, ask a question, and leave a review. You never know. I could actually call upon you to be a special guest on my show. All of the information about this episode is in the description box, along with the email and links to my blog, website, and more. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.